everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is none other than Daniel Vogel, co-founder and CEO of Bitso, a leading crypto services provider in Latin America. Bitso is committed to the development of efficient, competitive, accessible, and inclusive financial services in Latin America, and Daniel is among the youngest entrepreneurs and leaders in the region. Prior to co-founding Bitso, Daniel worked for Silicon Valley's Quantcast, where he developed a real-time bidding system, a product that would later go on to become the company's main source of income. In 2016, he was included in the MIT Technology Review's Innovators Under 35 Mexico 2016 Award. His work at Bitso has been recognized by Endeavor, Mass Challenge, and the President of Mexico. In today's episode, we discuss Daniel's initial introduction to cryptocurrencies, launching Bitso and expanding internationally, the goal of providing universal access to cryptocurrencies, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Dan, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's a great experience to get to chat with you. Uh, how are you doing? Where are you uh, calling in from? Thank you so much for having us. Excited to be here. I am in Sao Paulo today and uh, doing pretty good. It's a nice sunny day out here, pretty warm. You know, summer is rolling in, and so can't complain. Yeah, love to hear it. Uh, so many of my guests join from warm locations, and I'm I'm freezing here in Philadelphia. But happy for you. Um, so let's just let's just jump right into it. So, can you talk a little bit about your early career? Uh, maybe uh, what you got involved with uh, as a young professional, and how you became exposed to cryptocurrencies, and eventually decided to start Bitso. Sure. So I've always loved tinkering with stuff. I've been building little projects or businesses since I was a kid. I had the chance of sort of seeing a world without internet and then a world with internet. I remember very specifically when my parents, you know, connected our home to the internet. And that was like a, a pretty wild experience for me. And, uh, and I just started to build stuff. And mainly just to build stuff, never to sort of like make money. But it turned out that it was easy to make money uh, with those with those ideas. And so I started really early in Mexico. I, um, the first real sort of like big project that I built was with a guy from Australia that I've never to this day met in real life. And we built the the largest website for videos of remote controlled cars. So talk about a niche market. But I would get uh, checks in the mail and I wasn't old enough to cash them. So I would give them to my dad and he'd be like very confused as to where I was getting this money from. But anyways, I went to college. I studied computer systems engineering and economics and I was just so in love with technology. I wanted to do something technology related. I, I went to work at a company called Quantcast in San Francisco. And I just got really lucky because I sort of was given this weird skunk works project uh, for them. And it ended up being a very significant project or turned into a very significant project that sort of like helped the company monetize. And I happened to be sitting right in the center of that. And it was a really fun job. We were basically using like AI or machine learning to predict people who wanted to do stuff. And so we would try to like send ads to them. This is like over a decade ago. And so it's kind of like very early on, on, on AI and machine learning. And I really loved all that. And um, I live in San Francisco and a very good friend of mine who lived across the street from me one day told me like, hey, have you heard about Bitcoin? It's like, uh, no. So this is about 10 years ago. You know? And so that's the first time I heard about it. And I've been fascinated by it ever since. To be honest, I was incredibly confused about the concept at first. I think, you know, Bitcoin was first explained to me as an economic experiment to build a peer-to-peer decentralized digital currency. And... I remember like, I was like, I don't know what 
any of these words mean in isolation or most of these words mean in isolation, let alone all these things put together. You know? and, and I think like today that sounds a lot more obvious, but to me back then it was incomprehensible. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about Bitcoin ever since. It's been a decade. You know, the, the more time I spent thinking about it, I started to understand that, you know, Bitcoin was not only very compelling from a technical standpoint, you know, Bitcoin solves a, a longstanding computer science problem, but that Bitcoin meant something a lot more fundamentally important. It meant uh, more freedom. It meant more power to individuals. It meant removing power from institutions by disintermediating, by changing the paradigm of how the world could function. And I've just been obsessed ever since. I went to get an MBA, just like you, and I basically spent my entire time thinking about what the hell was I going to do with this technology. I started a business that failed, Bitcoin business that failed before, before doing Bitso, but it's just been about this technology for, for the last decade for me. And um, lots of ups and downs, but a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm just super happy about where things are, are trending to. I think we, we have a really long ways to go. Crypto is very hot at times, but I feel like we're really just at the beginning and there's a long, long journey still ahead. And I'm just fascinated by, by the opportunity. I think a lot of people, when they first learn about crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain, are very confused when they first hear the concept. So it should be reassuring for everyone to hear that you were on the same, on the same boat. Can you talk to me about like the genesis of Bitso? How did you go from, you know, not fully understanding understanding the technology to realizing that it could transform the way that financial services are operating in Latin America or yeah, so, globally? So I found the idea of sort of like freedom in money incredibly interesting and compelling. And I was sure that a lot of really cool, interesting, whatever neat things were going to get built on top of Bitcoin. And I, and, 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 and I keep saying Bitcoin because this is 10 years ago, right? Like it's, the Ethereum didn't exist. So, so I'm taking you back, back to that as you asked me. I, I had always seen that sort of like the internet had always missed a native like value transfer layer. And I thought that Bitcoin was the obvious answer. I was like, this is going to be something that's going to enable new products, new services, new concepts, a bunch of stuff. And so... You know, now with the benefit of hindsight, I can tell you a decade later that I was wrong thinking that everything would get built on top of Bitcoin. But I think I was right in thinking that the technology that powered Bitcoin, blockchain or crypto, whatever, was going to be fundamental in changing the way in which we think about the world. And so, so for me back then, it was like the obsession was with freedom. The obsession was with disintermediation and with sort of like allowing this technology to get into the hands of people. Uh, as many people as possible so that they could benefit from this new paradigm. And so, like, uh, you know, I told you that I started this sort of like failed business. But yeah, I, before Bitso, I started uh, another company with a friend called Swapley, where, where we're trying to basically replace MoneyGram and Western Union with Bitcoin. And we went around Manhattan with a Bitcoin ATM on top of uh, like a small utility doll connected to a gasoline power generator, trying to convince Mexican migrants in New York to send money back home to Mexico. And we very, very quickly learned that before replacing these antiquated remittance companies with Bitcoin, people in LATAM needed an easy way to connect Bitcoin with what I like to call their financial reality. And so it, it was like living in this like really interesting world, which, by the way, I still think I'm living in this world where on the one hand, you have these like 
fully transparent technology that allows you to lower cost, disintermediate a bunch of people, etc., built on top of open standards. But on the other hand, you had all these people who, who looked at this thing and it was just completely irrelevant to them. It was like this thing was a fantasy of sorts. It was my fantasy of sorts, no? but it was completely irrelevant. And so, so the idea of Bitso was like, you know, you, you really need a base layer. You need like the, the most basic piece of infrastructure to allow this technology to be relevant for individuals. And so the idea of connecting financial realities with this new emerging Bitcoin world was the thing that I thought needed to happen first. Step one was creating on-ramps. And that's what we've been really doing for the last seven and a half years, building on-ramps. No? And, and building on-ramps is quite complex, it turns out. Uh, you need to have a bunch of stuff working correctly from regulatory stuff to technology to piping to partners, you know, creating great u- user experiences, operations, etc. But um, we've been on this mission on creating sort of like these easy on and off-ramps. And now B2 is a lot more than that. Like now we power a bunch of products and services. We do, you know, we have a trading product. We have like an easy consumer product, but we have like, you know, we serve businesses, we serve governments. We help the, we've been helping the government of El Salvador with a bunch of the stuff that they're doing. We power a pretty significant percentage of the remittances that go from the U.S. to Mexico, like the crypto powered. And so we've been able to remove a bunch of intermediaries. So a bunch of more stuff is getting built out. But we needed that base layer. And I feel like that's still like a huge area of opportunity. Like you go to most countries in the world and you still don't have this really easy to use base layer. You know, that's the case in Colombia. That's the case in Peru. That's the case of Chile. Like there are ways to go from fiat to crypto and back, but they're actually not that great yet. And so we have great examples of companies that have been doing this in some parts of Asia, in the U.S., in Europe. We are doing a really good job in Mexico, Argentina, and now we're expanding into Brazil and Colombia. But there is a humongous opportunity to just, like, make this be as easy, as seamless, and as accessible as possible. And that's the journey that we've been on. And, and like, I get really excited about all this stuff that we want to build on top of it and, and all the stuff that's already getting built on top of it. But in many, many ways, it often feels like this is still just the beginning. There's so much to touch on from what you just said, but I want to start with that that last point on on-ramps and off-ramps. Um, so can you do me one favor and define on-ramps and off-ramps uh, first, and then talk to me a little bit about what that journey looks like for, for Bitso's users? Right. So I mentioned that sort of step one is creating on-ramps. And so, so when I think of on-ramps, Building on ramps has three components, and all three things need to interact with each other in sort of like a symbiotic fashion. And so one component is you, you need to build the pipes to connect financial reality. So this is mostly made out of regulatory compliance and integrations to the local rails that operate in a country. So that may be the banking system, that may be cash. Mostly those two, it could include like cards, et cetera. But like in a specific jurisdiction, you have people that live within a financial reality. So they have a bank account or they have bills and you need to figure out a way to connect those to your product, or to Bitso in this case. So that's like the piping. The second bit is you need to find a way to convert between local fiats and, and crypto. And so 
the way in which we've decided to solve this is we have a product called Bitso Alpha, which is a product for traders. And we basically have built a bunch of liquidity in our crypto trading marketplace, Bitso Alpha. And so that's a very simple product where people go in and they say, you know, I have Mexican pesos and I want to buy Bitcoin at this price. And you have people who have Bitcoin and say, I want to sell my Bitcoin at this price. And you just create a two-sided marketplace. But that creates liquidity and that gives you the ability to convert between local fiat and crypto and crypto and fiat. And there's a bunch of other companies that solve this differently, but we've decided to solve it by building our own crypto trading marketplace. And then last but not least, you need to build really the most seamless customer experience. So, you know, crypto can be confusing, complex, hard. For most people, it represents a big leap of faith. And so for us, building the best customer experience by having beautifully designed products that are indistinguishable from magic, we believe is essential to continue to onboard more and more and more people to the space. And so the short answer is an on and off ramp is just basically something that connects your financial reality to crypto and it allows people to seamlessly move value from their local fiat in whatever form they have it to uh, crypto in a global blockchain. And I think for, for users that are well-versed in crypto, working with Bitso to buy and, buy and sell cryptocurrencies makes a lot of sense. I would like to hear your thoughts on educating users that are not quite as well-versed in cryptocurrencies. So education is really a key component to everything that we do at Bitso. And we're super committed to offering education and learning opportunities that basically help our customers or just the ecosystem, just our, our market to make more informed uh, decisions, to empower our customers to learn about these technologies. So things that we've done, for example, is we've sponsored programs like uh, the Blockchain Academy. We've sponsored podcasts like Espacio Crypto, which became, if I'm not mistaken, that sort of like one of the most heard podcasts in Mexico. And, you know, we have our own educational platform, Bitsoedu. We continue to sponsor a bunch of educational programs. Like there's one that we're announcing, I believe, uh, later this week or early next week. And in addition to sort of these initiatives, like a corner sort of attracting customers that still do not know what crypto is, is basically, again, creating these products that are trustworthy, that are clear, that are intuitive and easy to use. And doing so really creates an entry point for users that they can begin to use and trust our products. And so most of our growth is organic and it comes from customers that do this. They go through that sort of, you know, leap of faith or crossing the castle and whatever you want to call it. And they just realize how easy it is. And then they become our best ambassadors. They go out and show their, their friends or family. Their, you know, we've got like universities that invite us to like offer a course and when we get there, we find that the only person who hasn't really used Bitso is the person who invited us. And all the students have already used the platform. And so we think a lot about this sort of symbiotic relationship between the product and actually all the educational efforts that we do, the content that we put out, the places that we go to speak to. You know, when you invited us to this podcast, it was awesome to come because we want to just keep telling people what this technology is. You know, there's still... A lot of people are scared about it. I feel like less and less and less so. But we see education as a super, super important piece of what we're trying to do as an, as an organization. And maybe I should have asked this question earlier, but could you provide a, an overview of uh, the different products that Bitso offers right now? I, I know you mentioned Bitso Alpha um, and you know anything else. Yeah, so 
So the main product, the product where we have most customers, is basically a product offering for retail, both people who are just getting started and crypto enthusiasts alike. And we provide a very simple interface to buy, sell, transfer, and save using cryptocurrencies. And you can think of it just like a wallet. It operates a little bit like Venmo. You know, you sort of connect it to your bank and you can very easily transfer, convert assets. You can also think of it perhaps as like a Robin Hood with very crypto focus, but it allows you to sort of then connect to the crypto world by transferring assets. So then we have BitsoAlpha, which is this professional grade crypto trading platform that I was talking about before where liquidity gets spilled. And basically this is a platform where users can execute trading orders at different prices with different rules. When we're trying to build the most liquid markets, it operates 24-7. We try to offer the most competitive rates in the industry. And that's where we have like a bunch of institutional investors that's you know, like customers like the government of El Salvador, they utilize Bitso Alpha. It also has, it has an interface, but it also works through API. So we have a lot of people doing algorithmic trading. In addition to sort of like the main Bitso product, we call it just Bitso and Bitso Alpha. We also offer a number of innovative business products backed by crypto that basically are trying to help companies thrive in the global digital economy. So Examples of this is we introduced a product called Bitso Shift, which uh, we built in partnership with a company called Circle. And it basically allows cross-border payments from Mexican residents and companies to the U.S. And users can make deposits and withdrawals via um, sort of from their Mexican bank account and then, and then make these transfers and execute payments to the U.S. or from the U.S. to Mexico. And so it has like an FX component, but a payment rails component and like a bunch of sort of like businesses are using this. That's a great transition to the next topic I wanted to talk about. So you've mentioned in the past that one of your goals is to provide universal access to cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious how that international expansion has been going for Bitso uh, and if that's been easier or harder than, than you predicted in, in the past. Yes, it's a great question. So We've grown our offering for offering services only in Mexico to operating in Brazil and Argentina. Soon we'll be in Colombia. And as I mentioned, sort of like also being a backbone for, for a lot of the efforts that El Salvador is doing. You know? We've been able to build a very compelling product in Mexico. And so that has allowed us to capture a significant amount of market share in the country. But we were also there first. And so today we have about, you know, over 90% market share in the country. But a cool thing that we did is we expanded into Argentina where there were established players. And today reports show that we're responsible for roughly about 75% of the exchange volume in Argentina. And this just comes from a much better product offering and, and sort of like being able to really transmit our value proposition to customers. All the trust, seriousness, easy to use, intuitiveness uh, of the platform, no? And today we're very, very deeply focused on our efforts in Brazil. And the Brazilian market is the greatest crypto market in Latin America. And, and this is because it's it's much more financially literate population, not to the questions on, on, on education before. But it is very different to other markets. And we've been, you know, I moved to Brazil because we weren't making enough headway. And it's fun. Like it's it, these challenges are so fun, but they're also very complex, you know, like regulatory stuff changes from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. The way in which the customer behaves is different in jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Some of the stuff that, you know, we did ultra successfully in one market doesn't necessarily translate that easily to another market. So you need to like spend a lot of cycles improving something that 
you didn't even think about. And it's fascinating. So I'll tell you like one of my favorite ones. I lived in the States and in the States, you obviously, most forms that you, for personal detail information that you have to fill out, you have a first name, middle name, last name, right? Very standard form. In Mexico, most forms ask you for your name and that most of the time includes your first and middle name if you have one. And then you have this segregation of last names. You have your like paternal last name and your maternal last name. And so we obviously knew that different countries had a different uh, way of thinking about sort of like names and last names. However, one of the things that I never realized is that like, for example, in Brazil, people don't really think about the concept like that. Like in Brazil, people have a name and you have a full name. And, you know, when you start asking customers, like, what was your first name and what's your last name? They got sort of like confused. Like, why are they asking? And we made the mistake of asking them for their first last name and second last name, like in Mexico, just as a, as a small product oversight when we just launched. And it was just fascinating. Like these little things that you don't think actually matter that much, actually people care about them so much. And so it's just a fascinating, like the challenge of expanding to, to other jurisdictions is just absolutely fascinating. The point of it is that the opportunity of, of expanding is big, but it's also quite complex. International expansion is difficult. Creating the competitive local edges uh, in each jurisdiction implies that you need to have a lot of attention to detail and your products and services have to be very localized. And anyways, you know, again, one of the reasons why I'm here in Brazil, but it just requires a lot of work, a lot more work than I was expecting. And then the other component, which is hard, is just the regulatory one, because regulation of this industry is still getting sort of like defined. And again, some of the things that work really, really well in one jurisdiction work very differently than another. And that's just because people are in different paths on thinking about crypto or, or jurisdictions care about very different things. Like, for example, the Mexican government loves that we're facilitating remittances. They love it. They're like, these guys are dropping down costs, removing intermediaries. This is an important part of the gross domestic product of the GDP of the country. Like, let them go as fast as they can. In Brazil, well, FX turns out to be a highly regulated industry that's also has very old regulation. And so crypto kind of breaks with a lot of those paradigms and how, you know, the central banks sort of thought about that. And so you now you need to adjust that. And something that the Mexican government loved and wanted us to talk about and wanted us to like showcase many times, the Brazilian government is a lot more cautious about. Not that they don't want to do it. They're just like in a different path of their journey because they care about different things and have different contexts. And so making these adjustments on a per-jurisdiction basis is quite, quite hard, but a ton of fun. When you first mentioned that you expanded to Argentina and were very successful pretty quickly, and then you expanded to Brazil and it took a little bit longer... I was thinking, okay, maybe it has to do with currency volatility and the region's appetite for, for adopting cryptocurrencies. It would have taken me a very long time to guess that the actual answer was how you were uh, asking for people's names. So that's a very, very interesting story. I want to switch topics just a little bit. So I noticed you're also a partner at Sochi Ventures, at Bridge Partners, and uh, Fintech Mexico. I'm just curious what role you play for these companies. Yeah, so none of them are companies. So Fintech Mexico is a trade association for fintech companies in Mexico. And so I was a founding member or Bitso was a founding member of the Fintech Association in Mexico. And I've been a board member for a number of years and I've really loved uh, serving as a board member there. We try to be the link between government and the fintech sector in Mexico. And so that's just like a trade association. 
And then Sochi Ventures and Bridge Partners are venture capital groups, small venture capital groups. One of them was started with my friends from MBA, uh, from the MBA. We wanted to basically have come up with like an excuse to continue to get together and chat and whatnot. And so we formed this group and it's worked wonderfully. I mean, I've been out of school for uh, over six years and uh, the, my first sort of post-COVID trip was to do our our annual investors retreat with Sochi Ventures, which is a lot of fun. We went to Austin, but it's, you know, we've, we've made investments in incredible companies, but really the purpose was uh, to keep that group of people with a common vested interest together over a long period of time. And it's really served its purpose. And Bridge is sort of like similar. Bridge is a group of Mexican entrepreneurs that wanted to sort of like spend time talking about business and whatnot. And the reality is that it's kind of hard to do that if you don't have like something that's sort of like giving you a cadence to, to get together. So none of these commitments, I would say, are significant commitments on, on my time at all. None of these are companies. I basically go at most to a meeting every month uh, for an hour and, and we discuss a few things. But they've been really good for me in my own journey. The Mexican Fintech Association keeps me up to date with what's happening on the government. And I can try to influence regulation and be like a link, especially because crypto in Mexico is so, I wouldn't say nascent because Bitso's gotten really large in Mexico, but there's still so much regulatory education that needs to happen that I enjoy that. And then for Sochi and for Bridge, it's always fun knowing what people are building, how people are thinking about the world. And I really, really enjoyed sort of just being part of those groups and keeping me up to date with what's, uh, with what's the latest and greatest. And zooming out a little bit, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for your opinions on the crypto space overall. Any particular use cases that you're excited to see play out? Yeah, so today we had a, a, a long company meeting and, uh, and we talked a little bit about our product uh, strategy. So when people sort of ask me, like, what's the purpose of Bitso? I've always answered with our mission, which is to make crypto useful. And, and really what I, what I want to see and the reason why I sort of like wake up every day to work on this industry is because I really believe that the technology has been amazing from an investment perspective, from a speculation perspective. And I love that. But I am really obsessed with really fundamentally changing how the financial services space works. And I believe that this technology is going to do that. So I can think of three principles that I deeply believe in. So the first one is disintermediation. So we've talked a bunch about that. Transparency. Like I think financial institutions are pretty opaque to their customers. And so I believe that the transparency that this technology brings to, to the world, like once regulators really understand it, I have a thesis that crypto is going to be a requirement and not a novelty. Like people haven't understood that Today, when you when you operate with a financial institution, like you rely on their auditors, you would know how that's worked out for the world. You know, if you think of the, the Bernie Madoffs, the wire cards, etc. Um, but anyways, and then the third principle that I that I think is fascinating is this sort of like concept of open innovation. And it's hard to really innovate on current financial services providers, but crypto is providing a never before paradigm for innovating on financial products and services. In a lot of what we're seeing in sort of like DeFi and, uh, and, and sort of like open finance or Web 3.0. And I really think like it's just going to change the world. And I think what we're going to see over the next like decade is we're going to continue to see crypto as a really interesting asset class. 
I think we're going to see more stuff getting tokenized. I think we're going to be able to see the build out of, of much more liquid markets around the world. And that's going to change fundamentally the way in which we think about sort of value. And it's also going to enable people to live in a much more free fashion on these sort of like big, sort of like these global financial services that are like fully transparent, written in open standards, and operate on a global basis. And we're going to see very neat things. Like today, you already have things like uh, decentralized exchanges where you're building a lot of liquidity, but you get things like today you can have like an interest bearing account on US dollars that's making, you know, five, six percent on a blockchain, highly secure. And I can't think of really any bank that would give me five, six percent on my investment on a yearly basis. Right. And so like if you combine these things, right, like you, you were talking about like Argentina and the issues that they have with sort of like the value of the currency. Now you think like people can easily store in stable points. And on top of that, they can be making five, six percent on that a year of yield. That's fascinating. And I just have a feeling that a bunch of stuff's getting built out at a very, very rapid fashion. And I think that, you know, you have financial services, then you have fintech, which was a combination of financial services and technology. And I think we're going to see a new breadth of companies where we're trying to play, which is basically the combination of uh, financial services, technology, and crypto. And you're going to see a new breed of companies that are not fintech and are not financial services, but have a little bit of that in their DNA that are going to just own financial services in the long run. And that's sort of what we're really focused on building on bits. bits. And what do you think has to happen for the continued mass adoption of crypto? And in particular, and you talked a little bit about working with the Mexico regulation on this, but in particular, what kind of regulatory environments do you think are conducive to crypto adoption? So the answer to this is like, really, the barriers are everywhere. And the ability to influence adoption from a regulatory perspective are also everywhere. So I'll give you a a few examples. Taxation. We got a lot of customers who are like, like we have have customers who are in Mexico, they did MBAs in the U.S., they're paying their student loan. And they can pay their student loan in U.S. dollars through their bank, paying a ton of money, or they can use bits of shift and pay a fraction of that money, right? And our customers are using bits of shift for this. And we've talked to customers who are not using it. We're like, why wouldn't you use bits of shift? This is like so much superior to your bank. And they're like, well, I get stuck because I don't know if this is legitimate. I don't know what's, what, should I be paying tax on this? Like, I'm just confused. I don't know if there's like an impact on me. And so like a lot of people think that, that the crypto industry shies away from regulation. I think quite the opposite. What we have seen over the last 10 years is that the more regulatory clarity that exists, like the better it's been for the industry. Obviously, that argument breaks if you just become a huge overlord and implement policy that makes it impossible to build in the space. But what I found is that like every time that there's been a development that has allowed companies like us to have regulatory clarity and transmit that to their customers, it's been super net positive. And so I think regulatory clarity on um, companies like Bitso operating in certain jurisdictions, what they need to do in order to operate. That helps. That just brings more players, as much more competition, sets a common set of rules for the, for the industry. I think that's great. I think tax is a huge issue that is so complex because the, the uses of crypto are just so all over the place 
that it's like saying like, oh, we should be taxing cash. What do you mean? Depends on what you're using cash for. Cash is just sort of like a medium to do something, either to exchange, to store value, to you know have a unit of account. But like a, a reality at the end of the world, this is just like an artifact that we're using. And what you're using that artifact for dictates how you should be taxed. And crypto for sort is like the same, but I feel like regulatory speaking, we're still stuck in a world where like people are thinking about crypto as an asset and very focused on like, oh, Bitcoin's appreciated a bunch over time. There's a bunch of people who are sitting on unrealized gains and we should be taxing that. And like, that's very short sightedness in my opinion. But anything that we can do from a policy perspective that brings more clarity to the space is great because the companies and, and enthusiasts and professionals can choose how to build instead of being in this sort of weird world where you keep pushing, 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 and then you get like a slap in the wrist and you don't know if you've gone too far or, or not. There's all these amazing questions out there. And, um, but, but I feel like answering some of these is in the way of mass adoption. The second thing that we think a lot about is education. And we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but like education is key. More and more people need to understand the risks, the advantages, how to use it, why it's relevant, et cetera, et cetera. And then third, which we've also talked about, I feel like as the industry's progressed, we've built more and more and more intuitive interfaces. I mean, and access to crypto is becoming easier and easier. It needed, like, into, the first time I bought Bitcoin at an exchange, I had to, like, wire money to Japan, to a very shady entity, and, like, uh, so that you can acquire Bitcoin on, you know, on PayPal, on, on Square, on Revolut, on Mercado Libre in, in Brazil just announced that they will be doing that. So, like, access is becoming easier, and the user interfaces are becoming so much better for people. And so all of these things, I feel like, play a really, really big role in, in increasing adoption. Amazing. And the last thing I wanted to do today was just to get our audience to know you a little bit better uh, with a rapid fire round of questions. Uh, so we're hoping to get answers here in 10 seconds or less. Are you ready to go? Let's try it. Let's try it. What is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? So I'm a private pilot. A while ago, I decided that I wanted to learn how to fly, and I got certified. And um, actually, my honeymoon, I took my my wife flying around on a little Cessna. It sounds a lot more fancy than it really is. Uh, Cessna is like a coffee maker with wings. Um, it <laughs> rattles a bunch, but uh, but that's uh, so, something that I love and just random, I guess. Sounds like a great, great honeymoon. What is your favorite hobby? 100% tinkering with Web3 stuff. I mean, I, I can just Friday night sit in my computer and start tinkering with all this stuff that's getting built out on the DeFi world or on the Web3 world, and I can get sucked for days. If my wife doesn't come and say, go to bed, I could probably spend the whole night just playing with these things. What is your favorite book? Tough one. I don't know. Whatever I'm reading, I guess, at the moment. I used to be able to answer this more easily, but... Now I don't know. I'm currently reading an amazing book called The Founder's Mentality by a guy named James Allen. And um, I've actually been really enjoying it. What is your favorite place to vacation? Definitely a ski resort. I love skiing. And last question for today, and you can take a little bit longer on this one. Uh, what does success look like for you and for Bitso? Yeah, so I'm still on this journey where I want to make sure that this technology is used by billions of people around the world and where the technology is a lot more 
uh, significant than just an asset that's appreciating. And so I want to make crypto useful. I want to see people switch over to Bitso as their main financial services provider. I would love for, for more and more people to be fully on board on the crypto space and utilizing 24-7. And I feel like this is an answer that both answers the question for me and, and for Bitso. Today, we have a lot of customers that transact and are learning, and that's exciting. But a lot of them are just sort of speculating. And I want to see more of the remittances use cases or the savings in stablecoin use case or the interest uh, use cases or, or borrowing against their tokenized assets. Like there's a bunch of stuff that we're thinking and building and doing. And I'm very excited about 2022 because our commitment is actually to a bunch of these use cases. We've been building on ramps for a long time. We're going to slow down on international expansion and double down on product, um, on product expansion in 2022. Amazing. And I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up for today. But Dan, thank you so much for your time. It was incredible to learn about you, uh, learn about your journey. Uh, and I look forward to seeing the continued growth and success of Bitso. Uh, so thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to hearing the podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.